Hi, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. Each week, I ask my guests what they do differently that sets them apart in the workplace, what makes them tick, and what makes them so successful. In this episode, I talk with Asaf Gal, who is a crunch fitness entrepreneur extraordinaire. We talked about helping people learn to help themselves. Welcome to The Indispensables. I'm Bruce Tolgan, and I am delighted to have Asaf Gal. Asaf is a crunch fitness franchisee, but you have to understand, uh, after spending time in Merrill Lynch's private wealth management division, uh, he decided to become an entrepreneur, and he has been a leading crunch franchisee since 2012. Uh, he's in the fitness business, and he's going places. Uh, he'll tell you about uh, where he's taking his business. But let me say, Asaf, welcome to The Indispensables. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, can you t- tell us a little bit about your, tell us a little of your story. How did you get to be who you are and where you are? Well, like it always does, it starts at the beginning. I am an Israeli immigrant, uh, moved to America, to Long Island, New York, when I was about two and a half years old. So though I am certainly American, I have this perspective that's been shaped by having an immigrant experience and immigrant parents. So from the beginning, seeing my father cobble together his lifestyle, I always knew that I wanted to be a small business owner, that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I didn't necessarily know where that would take me or what vertical necessarily, but that I would be an entrepreneur. Um, After graduating University of Michigan, I, I, like you mentioned, went to Merrill Lynch's private wealth management division for a couple of years. So I saw really big business, saw really big success, but it wasn't a passion. It didn't click for me. It didn't energize me. So I left to uh, work with my brothers. We had a a stint in e-commerce, a little bit of success here and there. And then went back to my father's business, where I joke that not really a business. We just did a bunch of stuff and sent out bills. <laughs> and what I mean by that is just it's just a highlight that there weren't really systems and structures in place. It wasn't replicable and sustainable. It was just doing stuff, running around like chickens with no heads. And it's important to mention that because that kind of slingshotted me the other direction. When I started doing due diligence on franchises and kind of realized and came to the conclusion that for me, the best fit would be a franchise model. I didn't want to come up with the operations manual. I want to execute the operations manual well. You know, I I was very hyper-focused on systems, structure, repeatability, that everybody who's on the bus should be on the bus, knows what seat on the bus they should be and what role they play. Otherwise, that that would be more frustrating than necessary. Uh, you're, you're singing, you're singing my, my music. Uh, but, but I will say you must've learned a lot from working with your father. One of the things I've learned over the years from entrepreneurs and from founder led businesses is, uh, often they are stitched together with idiosyncrasies. And, and if you can see how much value is being created in a founder-led business, I can see how that might lead to a hunger for systems and practices and repeatability. Absolutely, right? There, there were, I can remember this time, right? It was very a uh, direct mail driven uh, business. And someone, one of my brothers kind of picked their head up and looked over and said, did, did, we send, did we send the mailers to Freeport? 
And we all kind of looked around like, did we, did we miss that? How do we miss that? My dad has been in this business for 23 years and it's the same schedule every time and we missed it, you know? And so something like that is just, it's, it's unnecessary. Frustration is part of the deal. And, and you kind of, if you're doing things and you're acting, you bump into things and you know, you make mistakes. It, so I'm a big proponent of e-myth and I've gotten some e-myth business coaching. And I look at frustrations as the gap between your current experience and your future vision, right? If you have a vision of what it should be like, and right now it's not like that, that gap is frustration. So that's normal, but the unnecessary stuff is really uh, killing me. Yeah. Well, the Michael Gerber uh, discipline is, uh, is, is really powerful, especially um, in, in early stage entrepreneurship, but it's also becomes a guiding light, right? The e-myth uh, uh, model. Well, absolutely. It was kind of a, you know, you have a lot of experiences, some of it blends together, but then there are those lightning bolt moments. And one for me was when my, my brother Jordan came downstairs and he read Michael Gerber's The E-Myth Revisited. And he had this like eight page summary printed out. It's like, guys, this is it. This is what we've been looking for. This is what we need. We were not able to kind of move everything in that current business to that direction. So when I, like I said, slingshotted to my own venture and and crunch franchise, it, it was the starting point was I'm getting an e-myth business coach. I'm doing it the right way. And I'm painting myself into the corner of just unable to do, to do it all myself. I can't run a crunch with 65 group fitness classes a week and all this personal training and supplement sales and membership sales. I cannot do that by myself. And so I put myself in a place where I had to have employees running the show. And if, if you don't have the systems and structures in place, it's going to be a madhouse. Yeah. And um, and just so people understand the scope of the businesses you run, um, some people will be hearing this and uh, smiling because uh, they work out at a crunch fitness. But can you explain uh, the, the, the business um, in a nutshell? Sure. In a nutshell, 15 to 20,000 square foot locations that are a real health club at the lower end price point. So between five and 8,000 members in a club offering all strength equipment, cardio equipment, but also group fitness classes, personal training and supplement sales. So um, it's not infinitely complex, but there, there are uh, a lot of moving parts. It takes about 45 or 50 people to run each club. And, and, you and you run how many of them at this point? I own three at this point. And we're looking to make some uh, some growth, some acquisitions, and to keep going from here. When you think about um, the advantages of a franchise, uh, you already said that they've got the playbook so you can execute. They've got the repeatable processes so you can execute. Is that what draws you to the franchise model? First and foremost, you're getting the brand, right? If I open up a sauce gym in the Bronx, I'm not sure it's got the same ring to it. But I open up the first crunch in the Bronx. I'm handing out flyers and someone's like, a crunch here in the Bronx? You know, thank you. And so bringing that brand to that community gave me a thank you, a soft gym. Maybe it was a thank you, but, but they wouldn't even know. Um, and then look, from a construction standpoint, like I said, 15 to 20,000 square feet, that's a lot of decisions to make. But when the construction manual, uh, and to crunch's credit, is beautifully done and really thoroughly thought out, you don't have to make those calls. You just have to manage the execution of it from the, the general contractor side of things. That certainly makes it a lot easier. And then there are a lot of things that are already packaged for you. But what I ended up learning, I'm sure other people learned too, was even though there is an operations manual, it is still your organization. You still have to put together your team, your people, you set your, your core purpose, your vision, mission, and values, and try and orient your group to 
your vision of how uh, the, this particular brand is being executed. Um, so there are differences and nuances between the owners, but the consumer might still experience the same thing. Yeah, and it's really amazing because, uh, you know, it's not exactly like it's handed to you uh, on a platter. It's handed to you in a playbook, right, in, in a plan. But you still have to build out these uh, uh, large spaces. You still have to supervise uh, the contractors. You still have to hire all the people. You still have to get them trained. You still have to uh, provide guidance, direction, support, and coaching every day. Uh, and and um, if things go wrong, it, it is your business. For sure. And there, there are still, uh, it's hard to quantify, but many, many decisions made per day. Fortunately, a few years ago, we had a uh, Crunch Franchise Convention where there was this really awesome guy named Bruce who came by and spoke and talked about following up, following up, following up, and then following up some more. Um, and that was actually really an illuminating and inspiring moment for us. Because fortunately, I had a general manager with me who's now our regional manager, his name is Raymond Gonzalez, and he's been indispensable, by the way, to the organization, <laughs> our growth and our stability. Um, and it's really important for people to know that difference between, am I micromanaging, right? That's our intuition sometimes gets in our way of like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to make them feel like I'm micromanaging. I don't want to make them feel like I don't trust them. And you're like, hey, wait a minute, you, you have to support them. You have to come in and let them know what your expectations are. And you have to come in and check that they can provide you how they're going relative to those expectations you provided. So you can either commend them or coach them, but either way, they know that you're there. And it's important that they know you're there. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I always say to people, have you ever had a boss who didn't really know who you were, didn't really know what you were doing, didn't seem to care? That tells you you're not important and your work's not important. But, you know, a lot of times, uh, I think managers hesitate to, you know, to take charge and to own their responsibility. And I always say, you know, people go home after work and they, they, they sit with their family, they talk about their boss, they're talking about you. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a lot of responsibility. Um, anyway, you're kind to mention uh, my presentation at the franchise convention. If I may, you know, a couple things uh, come to mind on that, that we were just talking about. One thing is just a certain level of security or comfort communicating to others that you don't know. Sometimes we always feel like we have to know, but it's also just fine if not helpful to let your people know, Hey, I'm not sure what to do here. What do you think we should do? So maybe you're not following up with them because you're not sure what to do, but you know, there's no need to be shy about it. You should never try and make it seem like you have all the answers. You know, how could we? I think you're so right. Authenticity is the key to uh, credibility. It's the key to trust. Sometimes you might posture as if you already know something and you know, it, it might be more obvious than, than you realize that you don't. I mean, one of the funny things is people who pretend uh, don't realize that it's pretty obvious to a lot, to some, at least to some people that they're pretending. It's obvious. And if it's not obvious, then they just think you're, you're condescending or cocky. And either way, it's not a good, it's not a good look. Yeah. And it's okay to learn together with your people. It's okay to explore together with your people. Absolutely. Another thing that I, I felt like mentioning was you know, that there was a gap you were referring to, this like silence or this vacuum. And man, oh man, I found uh, when there's a gap of information, people fill it with their assumptions. And their assumptions aren't necessarily the rosy kind. There's not assuming positive intent all the time, right? So if you, if you like text one of your friends and they don't get back to you, you're not thinking, oh, they must be busy or they're buying me flowers. You're what's wrong with them? They don't like me anymore. We as humans just fill things with dark assumptions. So if you leave your team 
it, with these vacuums of information, they'll fill it with assumptions and it's, uh, you may as well be filling it. Even if it's like right now in the, in the COVID closures, our gyms were closed for six entire months and we weren't certain what things were going to look like. And I still got on, I used Loom, I made videos and I shared them with my team regularly saying, Hey, I don't have any information, but I just want you to know, I'm thinking about you. I hope you and your family are safe. And as soon as there's more updates to provide, I'll provide you. Because the more things are uncertain, uh, that, that doesn't mean leaders should go silent. It means leaders should talk through with people. Hey, here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. Here's what's definitely not going to change. Here's what might change, you know, uh, and, and so, you, you know, sometimes people say to me, well, I can't lead in this environment because things are so uncertain. Well, the more things are uncertain, the more people need you. Absolutely. They need that North Star. And again, even if you're not saying I have the answers, you can be saying, I don't have the answers, but I will be hunting for them. And if you come up with anything along the way, please share them with me. We're all going to learn and grow together. We're going to get out of this turbulence together. Yeah, especially if they're on the front lines, you know, you want them engaged in, you don't want them thinking, oh, what are those clowns doing in the front office? Uh, what you want them doing is gathering intelligence, uh, learning and helping you learn, right? So you're feeding information up and down the chain of command um, and staying in dialogue with people. And uh, I'm fond of saying the only real tool of leadership is communication. So it's at, to your point, uh, if you leave a vacuum, then there's no leadership um, and it will be filled. It'll be filled with whispers and rumors um, and it'll probably be filled with clicks and ringleaders, uh, which causes conflict. hundred percent. Where did you find your true north? I, I, I know that you um, are mission driven, that you are values driven. Uh, I know from the conversations we've had uh, that you're uh, striving, but not just striving to achieve, but striving to do things the right way and do the right things. Does that come naturally or, or is that something you learn? Um, well, like a lot of things, right? It's a, it's a combination. It's hard to really think back and pinpoint when you learn to act with integrity, right? That just seems to be the, the default assumption. But um, there's a confluence of events, right? Just, you know, I mentioned being an immigrant and I haven't dug too far into this, but there's an element of, you know, being in a bit of an outsider, having a different name, have maybe having parents with a different accent. There's a certain level of essentially being embarrassed, and so you kind of want to do what you can to be ingratiated. You want you want to get into circles and you want to make people feel good because I know keenly what it's like to not feel good, to be ostracized or to feel like, you know, I didn't have the clothes that fit in or just like, you know, we got a lunchbox at a garage sale and it was pink and I'm a little boy and it's like, oh, this feels terrible. And so you just become hyper aware of what it's like for someone not to feel like they fit in. So I just have this constant vigilance about making people feel great. If I'm at a party and there's someone who seems like they're not talking to someone, I'll just walk over and start talking to them because I don't want them to feel bad. I just don't want anyone to feel like they're outside. So that's like a basic sympathy and a basic empathy, uh, but it sounds like it comes from your core experience and it's very humanistic, right? So uh, it's... It, People talk about integrity. People talk about true north. Uh, and I always like to unpack that because, you know, it means different things to different people. And it sounds like your uh, point of view is very humanistic point of view. 
Yeah, I, again, I've never really looked in their rearview mirror and, and saw it that way, but I, that's exactly what it is. I know what it feels like to experience that, and I'm looking to make people feel good. There's another you know, thing, like a frame of reference I have. It's, it's similar to the analogy people hear or the story about, you know, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, or if you teach a man to fish, you feed him for his lifetime. I don't think about it as like helping people, right? Of course, I like to help people, but I like to help people help themselves. I want to give you the platform to succeed. So if I'm working out with a buddy in college, it's great that I can show him proper form and have a good workout experience. But if we work out together for a few months, then I don't talk to you for three years and we reconnect and you're like, hey, I'm still going to the gym, man. I'm still doing that routine you showed me. That's what energizes me. So I kind of realized through a few experiences like that, I call them my alumni and the people that like got into fitness because we, we spent time working out together. It's not just helping people, it's helping them help themselves. And so now to the current business, say, well, well, which better way, which what's a better physical manifestation of that than opening up a 20,000 foot space with fitness at an affordable price, right? That's like the, the grander version of helping people help themselves, providing them that uh, environment. Um, you know, uh, sometimes people say, uh, you know, oh, I don't feel it. I don't feel it. And what, what, what's funny is, um, almost always feeling follows action, not the other way around. Oh, I, I absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I know we really sync up on this. Um, you know, I, I think it's Tony Robbins talks about like, uh, story state. I forget the other one, but it's like, which one comes before the other. And I also say you never regret a workout. Right. If you've exercised and you've got your blood flowing, then you're you've already won. You've already had a victory. And that can be uh, something that starts that snowball. I also think about it in terms of, you know, I started meditating a few years ago and somewhere along the way, it asked you to kind of think about why you're doing what you're doing and who else it will impact. And the phrase I came to was get to best so you can give your best. You know, if you've been on an airplane and, and the, they talk about the, uh, the mask coming down, well, you're supposed to secure it on yourself before you can help other people. You're, you're useless if you're fiddling with someone else's and you pass out. You have to take care of yourself first, you've got to get centered, you've got to be ready to rock, and then you will bring a better you to the game. Yeah, I mean, that's true. If you want to be truly service-minded, if you really want to add value consistently, uh, you gotta take care of yourself because if what you have to offer is you, then, you know, what's the you that's showing up, right? Like, you know, you don't want to be a warm body. You don't want to be an overpromiser. You know, you don't, you, you don't want to yes people. You, you want to show up and deliver. And that means you got to spend time taking care of yourself. You also got to do, you know, um, I think I mentioned you last time we spoke, a gentleman named Jocko Willink, uh, super great leader, super inspirational. And, you know, following him, he actually gave me this little nugget that I've really leaned on a lot. And it was like, he'll put a post on Instagram as an example and show like a, you know, maybe a mat Yeah, he just stretched or did mobility work that day. And it'll say like two sentences, like I went through the motions, but I went through the motions and that's in all caps. And sometimes you can do a four hour workout and sometimes you can do a five minute, you know, jumping jack and, and, and five sit up rotation. And that's better than nothing. So like, it's not always a straight line, but if you zoom out and at the end of the day, it goes up, then you're, you're still winning. So sometimes you can do that four hours and sometimes it's five minutes, but as long as you're pressing ahead, making some constant, constant forward motion, it's, it's very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. And it's, it doesn't just go for exercise. I think, 
you know, when people tell me, oh, you know, my mind is uh, swirling with bad thoughts, I say, well, why don't you uh, put someone else's thoughts in your mind? Why don't you read something really good, right? If you read something really good, you're, you have the chance to think the thoughts of a great mind, right? So if your thoughts aren't, aren't satisfying, put someone else's thoughts in there. Um, you know, if, if, if you're feeling like, oh, I don't know what to do, do something. Re how about reach out to another person, reach out to someone. So, you know, exercise is a great example because it also has the, the uh, physiological effects of, you know, the endorphins and all that. And you f so you really do feel great. It's like a drug. Um, but I think uh, when so many people find themselves paralyzed by, um, by negative thoughts or paralyzed by inaction or too much to do, not enough time. Um, and, and I have found that the best medicine is action. I couldn't agree more. And I, I like the suggestions and there, there's a variety of opportunities to redirect exercise could be one of them, but maybe it's not, maybe it's reading a book, reaching out to someone. It's really hard to be creative and it's really hard to be, uh, making the right kind of forward progress in a negative state of mind. So picking up a book, reading a blog post, writing an email, sending a text, making a call, going for a walk, just doing something because, you know, there's a golden rule, right? We're supposed to treat others how, how they should be treated or how we want them to be treated, but we don't really necessarily treat ourselves that way all the time. So I, I actually sometimes remind myself to utilize the golden rule for myself, right? Don't forget the other direction. That self-talk can sometimes be quite negative, but we would never speak like that to someone else. That's so, that's so powerful. Self-talk, I think, is something that let's not let that, the, let, let that moment in the conversation go by without drawing a bright line under it. Uh, because positive self-talk is also, you know, there's Norman Vincent Peale and the po power of positive thinking. And of course, you know, if you're freezing to death uh, at the top of a mountain, you can, you're not going to think yourself warm. But, um, you know, so sometimes circumstances uh, get out of control, but there's no reason for people who are uh, otherwise safe and have their basic needs met to drive themselves down with, with their self-talk when you can lift yourself up with self-talk. And, and you don't have to blow smoke at yourself, right? You, you, you can just sort of, you know, uh, the, the kind of self-talk I recommend is um, I know you have children and sometimes you can do this with a child, right? Is, is just how about talking through the next five minutes, talking through the next 10 minutes, talking through talking to yourself as you're doing something. Um, so you're just sort of coaching yourself along. And again, I think in terms of the golden rule, it, you know, when it comes to taking care of yourself, uh, my view is that if you're truly service minded, um, then you will not make the mistake of, of abusing yourself, right? What do you have to offer if you're not taking care of yourself? You know, you, if you want to be the one to take care of others, that means you got to be strong. Yeah, I, I, I can't tell you how frequently I go back to the concept of putting the mask on yourself first. It's, you know, sometimes it can feel a little selfish, right? It's going back to that self-talk of, hey, I'm going to go to the gym for an hour and a half right now. And my wife has the kids to take care of. It's like, isn't that selfish? If you think about it that way, perhaps, but the other way around is I have to go be ready. I have to get to best so I can give my best. I have to be energized and dedicated and focused so I can give everything I can to my team. 
in the right amount of time so I can feel good powering down and, and being, you know, daddy and doing dinner time with the kids, doing the bedtime routine and reading stories. I can give everything to that moment because I've given everything to the other moments. And it's hard to do that from a, you know, from a foundation of, of not being healthy and not eating well and feeling well. So it is all connected. And, and look, you know, if you're healthy and happy, you're going to be a better parent. You're going to be a better uh, spouse. You're going to be a better friend. You're going to be a better leader. Uh, you're going to do better work uh, for your customers. You're going to do better work for your business partners. You got to be strong. If, if, you're, if, if the most valuable thing you can do is add value, uh, you got to be strong. But so let me, I want to, I want to uh, get your perspective on, on something. I want to go back to something you, you said, which is, you know, teach man to fish sort of thing. Um, and that helping somebody be able to help themselves, you know, what people come to me, I just, I just did this uh, uh, webinar and the, and the question came up, it comes up in every seminar I do. What about those people who don't want to let you help them? Right. The people who are like, yeah, whatever. The people who want to phone it in. The people who are like feedback, none for me, thanks. Hey, just leave me alone. What's your perspective on that? So I, I, I think we'd have to draw a line and maybe compartmentalize like the, the personal people in our lives, the family members or friends who might be that way is, is one thing. And maybe we'll set it aside. And then there's the, the employees or the colleagues or other franchisees in my network, things like that. That's maybe easier to address because... Uh, again, I referred to Jocko. He also spoke at the Crunch Convention. At, at the end of the Q&A, they're saying, you know, what's the most intense thing you've done in combat? And then someone asks, what's the most important character trait? We talked about all these things. Is there anything above others? And without hesitation, it's humble. It's humility. Because if you're not humble, right, how, how do you learn if you already know? So if someone's just kind of stuck and you don't want to accept it, you kind of have to carve it out and say, look, this is how it is. You need to be open and willing to learn because we're all learning and growing. And I try and not shut them down. I try and open their eyes to it. I'll say, hey, LeBron James, is he good at basketball? And they, of, of course, like, don't be silly. It's like, well, what does he have? He's got a coach and a personal trainer. And that personal trainer of his, he still reads books and magazines and the newest journals and articles and probably has a business coach or a life coach. And that life coach probably has one too. What, you hit the ceiling? You've learned and done and seen it all? Even if by some chance you did, things change and you still have to keep up. So you're, you're a martial artist, so, so you'll, you'll understand, right? You got to find the angles. It's not the first punch that lands or the first kick that lands. Sometimes it's the seventh. And I'm not going to come straight at you because you'll kick me in the chest <laughs> like if you're being nice. So I got I to gotta faint and move and try and you know, flank you and get you to a place that I want you to be so that you'll be able to hear it and let it, let it soak in. So to me, look, we're all learning and growing all the time. If you're not, I mean, then you've stopped, you've hit the end, you've hit the max. In college, we learned about uh, the Toyota production systems in business school, TPS. And one of the things that they talk about, one of their principles is Kaizen. And it's the, it's the Japanese word for constant improvement. Even if it's a tiny, like move this box of nuts and bolts one inch to the left and it makes it more efficient, it's an improvement they need to make. Every single day you make those kinds of improvements and you're going to be a wildly profitable enterprise or you're going to be better off than you were the day before. So whatever thing you can do to communicate and soften people to absorb and understand, you know, we're learning and growing all the time. So I want that feedback. I want to give feedback. Part of it too isn't just like strategic. I think it's really important to give people tactics as well. So 
if you're familiar with crucial conversations or crucial accountability, you need to not just say, hey, I want feedback, but like, this is how it's safe to give feedback in our organization. Can I give you some constructive feedback? Or, you know, I observed this, I was expecting that, can you help me understand? And when you model the behavior for them, maybe they can pick up on it, start to be comfortable and safe giving you that feedback. And then how you handle the feedback will either perpetuate or slam the door on if you really mean business with it. So if you if you yourself accept that feedback and show appreciation for it, say, hey, that thing you said, that's how I get better. I can't fix what I don't know is broken. Thank you so much. Now I know. Can you just check back with me in a week and make sure I'm, I'm still you know, doing things in accordance with what we just agreed to? They're going to know, hey, he accepts feedback, so maybe I should too. So what you do will either perpetuate or shut the door on it. And again, not just strategic, but tactically, are you providing them the tools on how to give feedback, how to get better, what to say, when to say, how to say it? Because it's not uh, it's not intuition. And, and as we say in our business, common sense ain't so common. There, there are things that we just expect. And that's that's a function of your experiences. What if they didn't have that experience? What if their parents didn't say that to them growing up? So what you think is common sense, man, they just missed out on it. Yeah. And 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 they and some people experience it as an attack or um, uh, but, but what, and I love what you're saying because what you're really talking about is, and of course you're a leader and you have how many employees at the three club? About 150. Yeah. So, you know, you're a leader of a substantial number of people. And, um, and when leaders, uh, create that, it's not just the day-to-day expectation, but it's like the ground rules for how we're going to interact. And, and normalizing, like, hey, a centerpiece of our culture is Kaizen, getting better. And a centerpiece of our culture is uh, having ongoing, transparent discussions with each other. Um, and here's, so, so you can recognize, this is what the feedback sounds like when it's coming your way. And if you have feedback for someone else, that, you know, that's how it should sound coming from you. And, and that's okay. That's not something to get mad about. It's not something uh, to have your feelings hurt, right? We're normalizing this. This is who we are and how we're going to, how we're going to operate. I, I was going to say, in fact, you should be angry about the opposite. You should be angry if you don't get feedback, right? The, the crucial conversations perspective on it is the health of an organization or the health of a relationship can be measured by the gap between when you think of something and when you say it. Right? If you say something that rubs me the wrong way or there's a missed expectation and I just address it right then and there, that's the healthiest a relationship can get. Think about like a husband and wife. Hey, 13 weeks ago, you said this thing. You're like, what, what's 13 weeks ago? I forgot what I had for breakfast. Why, why are you holding that in? That's not even fair of you. You're essentially lying to me this whole time because you're, you're implying that everything's fine and it's not. And we don't lie to each other around here. And, and, and if you don't have authenticity, you start to lose trust. And if you start to lose trust, then then you're going to have a really hard time uh, interacting. And so in your organization, you can lead that way. You can uh, communicate to folks that this is uh, who we are and how we are. This is required behavior. And, and, um, and, and so I guess if somebody refuses to go along with that, at some point, you can remove them. What's your perspective on, um, let's say it's a personal relationship. You're not going to fire your, your kids. You, you know, you're not going to fire your spouse. Um, but, but I've had uh, plenty of situations where I've brought people in 
whether in a mentoring situation, often they're people in need. Uh, and I'm, and I'm, I'm trying to get that leverage. I'm trying to angle, I'm trying to get that angle and not get them to submit, but as you say, you know, get them to see that I'm trying to help them. Is that something that some people just can't learn? Do you think? Yeah, it's look, maybe right again, it's a function of their experiences and, and how they were formed and molded to where they are now. Other times it depends on, on the topic, right. Or the content. Is it, is it a big deal or not? I, I remember, you know, I went to University of Michigan and it was pretty hot political times and, and our conversations across the whole fraternity, we were trying to convince each other of these things, right? We we're trying to change people and, and credit to my mother-in-law. She phrases it as it's just much easier to change how you respond to someone than it is to change them. And as we matured, you know, you start to realize, yeah, I, I still want to hang out with you and I still want to go to lunch together. And I don't mind that we have political differences and I don't need to convince you of anything and you don't want to convince me. And so, so at some point, depending on the, the content, you know, maybe you don't have to convince someone, but if you really, if it's something that you absolutely have to, then maybe the consistency and how you keep showing up to that conversation will communicate how significant it is to you. Right. And you, like we refer to the, the angles and uh, you know, I, I, I did Krav Maga for a bunch of years and I at some point realized like, man, it is never the first punch that lands. It's just, it's like the fifth or sixth. So we got to keep going for it and then we'll find our opening. There are, unfortunately, I, I imagine relationships in people's lives that truly matter that to get to where they want to be in life, they may have to cut off at some point. If those relationships are not serving you well and the future outcomes that you're looking for, and in fact, they're holding you back, there's probably a time and a place for some people to cut out friends and family and things like that. Fortunately, I have not bumped into that, but someone might have to bump into that at some point. Yeah, I mean, I guess at some point you've got to decide for yourself if your efforts are better uh, used elsewhere, you know. Um, and uh, uh, I guess you know it's 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 easier with an employee because the relationship is so obviously transactional. Uh, but it's not easy in that case either. You're 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 giving up. Uh, you know, uh, I once had somebody tell me, I, I never fire my employees. I fire myself as their boss. That's, a, that's one way to put it. And, you know, back to the values that we were talking about before, you know, that's, to me, I phrased it, that's the lens through which we see the world. It, it's, it's saying, this is what we accept. And so conversely, we're not accepting the other things. And that's what's so important, in fact, critical about having an explicit set of, of values. And not only that they're there on a, you know, cork board somewhere, but that you live them and that you weave it into every opportunity of a conversation that you can. So people are very clear, this is how it is around here. And back to that, not to sound you know negative or nasty, but we, we made the analogy of the bus. Look, this is what it's like on this bus. If it's not for you, we'll pull over and you can get out. You don't have to work here. It's an agreement that we both make daily. And if you just, if it's not working for you, I wish you all the best somewhere else where it's a better fit. That's, that's part of the deal. When I first started this thing, I guess I didn't think too much about it, but the hope was you'd hire some people and they'd work for forever. And then the reality hits you that that's just not true. Whether it no longer works for them or there's drama that doesn't, you know, makes it so that it doesn't work out anymore, or they just, I, I want to be a nurse. <laughs> like I didn't, I don't want to be in a gym my whole life. I just did it during college and uh, now I want to go to nursing school. That's okay. As long as they're better off for having worked for us, as long as they're something about, you know, what we've done and said along the way that's contributed to them in their life 
then then that's a that's a goal we we set out for ourselves. Yeah, and maybe you know you've learned from them and they've learned from you. Maybe uh, the relationships uh, continue even if uh, you're no longer in an employer employee relationship. Maybe they've added tangible value to the business, um, and and maybe they're walking away with concrete results with their name on it. Uh, maybe they've learned that workout routine from you that they're going to still be doing. Maybe, maybe instead of being an employee, uh, they'll be a member of the club. There, that happens all the time, <laughs> and that's 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 a good you know indication that hey, we ended things the right way. The fact that it no longer works to work here does is not the end all be all. But if you still come here as a member and you you enjoy yourself, then things went right. Yeah, and it's you know people always say oh people are disloyal. Well, you know. I mean, it's 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 an employment relationship. It's a transactional relationship. Um, And, uh, you know, if they stopped showing up, you'd stop paying them. And, uh, you know, sometimes they move on. And just like if you have members who don't pay their their fees at a certain point, you're like, hey, no hard feelings, but you can't keep coming here because that's the way it is. Actually, if you leave on good terms with people, you know, who knows where those relationships will go in the future? Maybe, maybe they'll end up coming back. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned something, you know, on, on like the disloyal front as an example. It's hard to, you know, put these certain thought patterns first, um, but with practice you can. And something like, man, people are disloyal. You want to rephrase and reframe the question is, what have I done? such that my people are not loyal enough. You know, what have I done to contribute to a, to an environment where I'm not I'm not garnering this loyalty that I, I think I should be getting? And when you put it that way and you're humble and you have a notepad and a pen, maybe maybe you'll bump into some things, maybe through an exit interview where things they said to you on the way out. Uh, if you really toss that around as, as worth thinking about, you'll come out the other side with uh, an opportunity to get better. Yeah, I mean, that's a brilliant insight, and it actually uh, shines a, a really bright light on a practice which I'm always encouraging people to, uh, to do, which is don't focus on what you can't control, focus on what you can control, and that's you. What was your role? Uh, what, what were your thoughts? What were your feelings? What were your words? What were your actions? And what can you do uh, about you? And uh, but but but, you know, when you feel aggrieved, uh, it's much harder to focus on yourself and the role you play and how you can get better. And um, uh, so I think it's it's a really uh, that's a great uh, corollary to the to the principle. Focus on what you can control. Focus on you. Uh, I think a great corollary is or a great praxis for that is. Um, maybe when you, when you feel most aggrieved is probably the hardest time to look at what did you do? And maybe it's, it's, it's one of the most important times. Absolutely. And I love the way you're phrasing that because if you find yourself aggrieved, it means you're in an emotional state and to get out of an emotional state, make it objective. So for things like that, I always, I think about the org chart and I'm like, this person, you know, Tommy didn't yell at Danny. A front desk rep yelled at a front desk manager. And if I was telling my franchisee buddy in Wisconsin what that person should do, you know, like just making it distant by the nature of putting it on a piece of paper and some boxes, don't put the names on it. Say this role said this to that role or this role quit and they told the CEO these things. What can the CEO learn from that? 
and just the nature of taking it out of the names and putting it into boxes and, and arrows in a diagram really helps remove the emotion. And if you think about what could I have done differently here, if you really sit on that question, you can come up with at least one thing. Even in that emotional agreed state, if you're like, oh, I did everything. Okay, really? You have to come up with one thing or you can't have dinner tonight. You'll just write something and you can get somewhere. You can make improvement. There, there's Kaizen that's possible if you uh, allow it. Yeah, that, and that I, uh, that's a really um, interesting inside out uh, way to make sure you do the right thing and treat other people the right way to arm's length and objectivize something that is quite subjective. Um, and, and it does, it, you know, where we started was with your fundamental sympathy, empathy, and humanism, right? So uh, it, you, you're not going to forget this is a person with feelings, uh, but to make sure you make the right decision about what you do to arm's length it and look at it, uh, 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 something that's not an objective situation through an objective lens uh, is a great tactic, a great device. Thank you. It's, you know, the key, right, is to remember these, to ask yourself these questions at the right time. <laughs> but it's amazing. I, I tell my team, like, how do you get the right answers? The right questions. So you have to make sure you're asking yourself and really focus on the right questions. And it's remarkable how just the wording, the way a question can be stated can just make all the difference in the world about where your thought patterns go from that. What would you recommend one of our peers do in this situation? Right away, I'm just in a different headspace. Yeah, that's that's a, a really powerful device. What would you recommend uh, to a peer to do in this situation? And it's one of the reasons why um, in, uh, I think, you know, in, in our seminars, you know, uh, I, I, I do a lot of talking and, uh, but, but I also uh, make sure that people are able to learn from each other. And I think that's probably why in, uh, in, in a proper pedagogical framework, that's so powerful because people can take the principle and then look at it in, in terms of their peers experience and their peers, uh, uh, case study. And uh, when they give each other some advice externally, that's exactly what they're doing. They're, they're creating that arm's length objective lens. It's really important, like you just did before, to tie it to, yes, I, I came at this and we started talking about the emotional side and, and having a high EQ and making sure people feel good. But then you have to take off that hat and put on the other hat where, you know, my role serves the business needs. It, it, it is It has its own tax ID. It's a thing that you know, it doesn't exist to serve us. The better we serve it, the more it exists and keeps helping. And it's a wonderful circle. So, you know, shifting your observer that way and, and making it more objective doesn't remove the emotion, but it does make sure we're the order of things and the nature of the relationships is honest. Right? Like I might feel bad for that person, like what you touched on. The nature of the relationship, the root of it, is one of work. It's employment. And if I stop paying, they'd stop hanging out with me. That's not offensive. It's not offensive. It's fine. It doesn't mean or degrade the fact that we have deep and meaningful relationships, but it does highlight that at the root of them, they are one of employment. And that's fine too. And, and bear in mind, as a leader, you have a responsibility to all the other constituents of the organization. Um, okay. So as our time is winding down, 
let me ask you for your, you know, you get into an elevator uh, with, with someone, you got an elevator pitch uh, to uh, leave somebody with, with a, a kernel of really powerful career advice. What's your best career advice? To me, I would just emphasize the, the openness and the willingness to learn. And if you have that as your starting point, it means you'll, you'll put yourself in a position to improve. You'll put yourself in a position to listen to the podcast, read the books, and just add the appropriate lenses that you need to be wearing. And as you keep accumulating and growing these different lenses and frameworks you can bring to the table, as you bump into things in your life and in your experiences and, and, and in your, your growth of your career, you're going to find yourself in a position where every time along the way, you say, wait a minute, I have a lens I can put on and see the world through, wait, what about getting things done? What about extreme ownership? What about Bruce Tolgan's books and podcasts? What, what about all these? What about crucial conversations? You can bring to the table the right you for that right moment if you've learned and grown along the way. So you really got to have a hunger and a thirst for that. And you'll just be better prepared for whatever comes. A soft gall, entrepreneur, extraordinaire, crunch fitness, leading franchisee. I am so grateful. Thank you for being a guest on The Indispensables. Well, thank you very much for having me. Honored and privileged to be here. Humbled to do so. And uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Fantastic. Thank you so much. In our next episode, I'll talk with Bela Barner about using hard data and soft data to help people make really, really smart decisions. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at goto underscore podcast. That's at goto underscore podcast. Learn more about GoToism in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, wherever books are sold. And you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com. Until next time, stay strong and stay indispensable.